The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 2 a.m. in Hollywood, and here is your top five at five. Getting ready for a Tuesday turnaround. Futures, crypto, oil, all higher. Markets look to make May a month to remember. More fallout for AT&T and Discovery, as everyone from the Financial Times to our own Jim Cramer said the deal was three years in the making. So now, who buys whom? Apparently, Amazon. Reports say Jeff Bezos wants James Bond, as Amazon may go after MGM. Taking on water, ARK Invest, Kathy Wood in more trouble, and investors apparently losing faith in that firm's widely watched ETFs. And he made history, shorting the U.S. housing market. Now famed investor Michael Burry has a new target in his sights. We'll tell you who on this busy Tuesday, May 18th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us on this busy Tuesday. Let's get right now to the markets and your money. Futures, they are higher across the board. In fact, the Nasdaq, Looking particularly strong. NASDAQ futures up nearly 100. NASDAQ futures up more nominally than the Dow. Dow futures up 89. NASDAQ, much smaller index. Futures there up 98 as well. Tech, going to be something to watch today. Now, from a data perspective, not a lot. You get two more building and housing-related data points out today. Building permits and housing starts after that blowout housing number again yesterday. All in all, it was kind of a mellow market Monday. About half the Dow 30 was up, so the other half was was down. (laughs) Hashtag math. NASDAQ lost four-tenths of a percent. The big moves were in crypto. Many got slammed. Keep in mind, Bitcoin was nearly $65,000 about a month ago. It's higher now, but we're below $45,000. Off $20,000 in Bitcoin in just the last month or so. I think Scott Minard's call about two months on this very program about Bitcoin technically maybe setting up as well. Ethereum is higher, but again, well off its recent highs. Around the world, Japan had a big night. The Nikkei up 2%. Nikkei is up 9% in the past six months. And in Europe, similar story, also all higher across the board. Not quite the size gains, tens, a couple tenths of a percent, but higher nonetheless. Also happening right now, The VIX, the volatility index, is back below 20. Now, keep in mind the VIX had been as high as 80 during the darkest days of the pandemic last March. And it's even popped recently, bringing some surprise volatility to the markets in May. So let's find out why we have seen a sudden bit of nerves after a fairly calm April. Joining us now is RBC Capital Markets Managing Director and Head of Derivative Strategy, Amy Wu. Silverman. Now, Amy, good to have you back on. Why do you think we've seen, I don't want to say it's huge volatility, but it's certainly more than we had seen. What's going on? 
Well, you know, look, I think in April when VIX was sustainably below 20, you know, for for almost a whole month, I, I think actually, unfortunately, that was the head fake. And the reality is we have not moved to a low volatility regime yet. And part of the reason is as long as we continue to get economic volatility, we're going to get real volatility. And, you know, with, with kind of the data points that are coming through with inflation and this, this giant experiment we're in right now, I don't really see how we go back to that low realized volatility environment for a while. Um, in particular, when you look at other crisis periods, it takes three to four years for volatility to normalize. I think people thought that the pandemic was going to speed this long quicker. I don't think that's going to be the case. I try to avoid a lot of jargon on this program. It's just too doggone early for that, Amy Wu Silverman. But I I did use the term gamma hedging last week. Shame on me. And I saw some (laughs) stats where the the May options expiry week, so the the week of options expiry in May, i.e. this week, tends to be negative the last few years. How much are sort of wonky or option strategies We always try to find this basic answer in TV, Amy. Here's why stocks are down. Some of this is options. Absolutely. And and look, I will tell you, there were points in time during this pandemic where I think people were very skeptical, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that it was options. You know, this is what happened to tech and momentum in August of 2020 and January 2021. I think... um, blaming options specifically now probably isn't fully the correct answer. You know, look, options always on the margin are going to contribute. Um, But just looking at sheer uh, volume size and the contracts and the open interest, you know, that's that's not going to be your main factor right now. Although, you know, know, this the, the gamma situation you're talking about has really, really mattered in the past for some of these names that I know everyone cares about. So we're talking the Teslas, the Apples, you know, just mega cap tech. Um, and we look at the kind of bid to the out of the money calls, which drives a lot of this positive momentum. You know, that's really dropped as a stone. And a lot of that came from yeah. retail option buying demand that really has gone away. Um, you know, so unfortunately, I think you have to find something to blame going forward unless that changes. Well, maybe we blame the stock that we just showed, which is Tesla. I'm not blaming the company or Elon Musk, Amy. What I'm saying is I had a contact of mine tell me, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, pre-pandemic, and I said it on this show, he's a big prop desk trader. He said, Tesla's not important to the stock market. In some ways, it is the stock market because there were so many different positions, derivatives, Delta One strategies, whatever, you name it, based in and around the equity or the options. Maybe that's a bit of an overstatement, but how much does Tesla matter to the market? I actually think it, it it matters a lot, and it's starting to matter more. And part of the reason is it's now just in the S and P. Yep. So since its inclusion, you know, you, you can't really talk about um, the index without also thinking about that. Obviously, its weight isn't that large yet, um, but you know, people are people are forced to track it along with the inclusion. You know, one thing I'll say is um, Tesla has sort of always been a psychological bogey for people. And, you know, it's Mm. like you say Tesla, but really in reality, you have the whole breadth of crypto in there too, as well as momentum. And so, you know, as that falls, people wonder in general about the style rotation, about where value is going versus growth. I'll tell you one thing, you know, there's a point in time where Tesla's out-of-the-money call options were so big that the implied volatilities were greater than that of the puts. That's highly unusual. 
that's gotten back to normal. But the reality is when it was so overbid like that, you actually don't want to short something like Tesla because you know that, you know, that gamma we talked about comes into play, that positive momentum. Whereas now, in reality, it's a lot safer with the puts expensive because you know that positive momentum is not there as much um, as it was in the past. Yeah. And, and a lot of these positions that my contact was talking about, he says they're loaned out. It, it's just Tesla, even though it is a big company, even plays a much bigger weight in the markets than its market cap. I love what you said. It kind of represents so much other stuff. We're watching Tesla, watching stocks, watching the VIX, watching you, Amy Wu Silverman. Thank you for coming on Worldwide Exchange. We appreciate it. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Now, let's get some of this morning's other top stories, including a new call on carbon and maybe appropriately one of the world's greatest car makers saying it might go electric. Bertha Coombs here now with more on those. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Brian. Yeah, the IEA, that's right, the International Energy Agency is calling for an end to new oil and gas investments to slash carbon emissions. In a new report, the energy watchdog says those projects must stop immediately if the world hopes to achieve the goals laid out in the Paris Climate Agreement. It added that hitting that net zero target would require a rapid acceleration of wind and solar capacity and halting sales of gas cars by 2035. Sticking with that theme, Lamborghini just announced it plans to go electric. The Italian luxury automaker says it will build its first hybrid gas electric model in 2023 and its first fully electric car in the second half of this decade. Lamborghini says it will invest more than $1.2 billion in order to make that transition. And Apple is reportedly facing continued delays with its iPad Pro. According to Bloomberg, the company is facing ongoing supply chain challenges for the device, mainly producing the new mini LED screen for it. The report says while the iPad Pro goes on sale in about a week, those who order it may not be able to get the device in their hands until well into July. The supply chain problems all over the place, Brian. Yeah, they are. It doesn't matter what you're trying to buy, Bertha. If it's not right there in front of you in a store, you might have to wait for it, maybe months in some cool mountain bike, whatever they were doing, making on that iPad. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes, Bertha. Thank you. <laughs> All right, when we come back, the big money movers you cannot afford to miss, including more on that guy, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, unwinding a bet on banking that they have held since the late 1980s. Plus, why Jeff Bezos apparently wants James Bond. And on that, media powerhouses now scrambling to figure out who may be the next big deal. Could it be, you know, NBC? Former DirecTV CEO Mike White is here, and he'll weigh in. Futures up 80, NASDAQ futures up even more. Could be a big day. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome or welcome back and good morning. Time now for your big money movers, your top three stock stories or ETF stories of the day. First up, Amazon. Research firm The Information reporting the company is considering making a bid for filmmaker MGM. The current status of any talks is unclear. MGM, the home of James Bond, Rocky, among other things, it makes TV like The Handmaid's Tale and Shark Tank. In December, Reuters reported that MGM was exploring a sale. Amazon would do any deal to beef up its Amazon Prime TV and movie content. Amazon stock slightly higher. Stock number two, Berkshire Hathaway, a.k.a. Buffett bails on banking. It sold nearly all of its Wells Fargo shares, a stock it has held since 1989. Instead, Buffett took a stake in insurance player Aon, also trimming a big stock stake in Chevron. And stock three, ARK Invest. Bloomberg says ETFs managed by Kathy Wood's investment firm saw net outflows of nearly $1 billion in a single week. That's its fears about rising inflation, drawing attention to the relatively high valuations of the fund's primary holdings. The flagship ARK Innovation Fund is down 17% this year. All right, still on deck here on a worldwide exchange. He made millions betting against the housing market and became famous for the big short. Now Michael Burry, Dr. Burry to you, has a new short bet in his sights, one that is sure to draw a lot of attention. That name ahead. Today's big number, 20 million. That's how many adults in the U.S. could enter the cryptocurrency market over the next year, according to crypto exchange Gemini. That would represent a near double from today's investor base. All right, welcome back. Surprising high-tax states, a very scarce NFT, and a new big short from a big shorter. Bertha Coombs back now with some of today's trending stories. All right, Bertha, what is trending on this Tuesday? <laughs> well, let's talk about New Jersey. It might be the most expensive state for taxpayers to live. According to a study from Ugh. financial technology company Self, New Jerseyans will pay an average of over $930,000 in taxes over their lifetimes. That's nearly a million bucks. The next highest states are Massachusetts at over 827000 k followed by Connecticut, Washington, D.C., and New Hampshire. That's all compared to the nationwide average of about $525,000 over a lifetime. And this might be a way to ensure actual scarcity for an NFT. The 2007 viral video, Charlie Bit My Finger, is being auctioned off as an NFT, but after its sale, the video will be deleted from YouTube forever. Currently, most NFTs are still available to be viewed for free, despite having been purchased for six-figure sums. Now, Charlie Bit My Finger 
will be on YouTube until only May 23rd. Of course, it doesn't preclude somebody from downloading it now and saving it. Again, this is digital stuff. I don't understand yeah, how you make that recording it on their phone. unique. Yeah. Right? I, I, I don't know. But yeah, just trying anyway. To th- and yeah. finally. <laughs> Cute kids, uh, I guess. I, I, don't, I, I really don't understand the NFT thing. I'm thinking they should have a beanie baby holding a tulip bulb. And that sums up to me what an NFT is. But I am a contrarian on that. Finally, Michael Burry, one of the first investors to call and profit from the subprime mortgage crisis, made famous in the movie The Big Short and the book, has a new bet on his hands, according to a recent SEC filing. Burry has a short position against Tesla to the tune of about half a billion dollars. That as of March 31st. So we don't know if he still holds it. Burry owned more than 8,000 put contracts with unknown value, strike price, or expiration date. That is a very, very big bet, Brian. You know, we just talked about it with Amy Wu Silverman. We talked about yeah. how Tesla, it, you know, one of my better contacts was saying it, it's not part of the stock market. It is the stock market because there's all these derivative positions built into option strategies, short, not just shorting the stock, but it's loaned against other positions. It's borrowed out. If he's right and that stock goes down and Amy's right and what we've talked about is right, that is bad news for the overall market. The other bad news is New Jersey. I think we all kind of knew that, Bertha, but I don't think we knew that it was 100,000 more than, isn't that your home state, Taxachusetts? Yeah, that's where I grew up in Taxachusetts. I'm surprised New York isn't. It's someone who lives in New York City where you pay the city tax and the state tax. Um, It's got to be up there when you combine both of them. But I guess they were just looking at state yes, but level. New York, still, but it's, see, uh, New York City is like 99% mountains and countryside and 1% New York City, right? <laughs> New York State has got all that, all that beautiful land. The Finger Lakes, the Rieslings are marvelous this time of year in, in Canandaigua. I probably didn't pronounce that oh, right. Oh, boy. Look Watkins at you. Glen. I know how to say You're that such one. a connoisseur. <laughs> Yeah, oh, really? All right. Yeah, yeah. Guzzling lukewarm beer at Watkins Glen after a race. Bertha Coombs, good stuff. Today's top <laughs> trending stories, Bertha. Thank you very much. Big bet there by Murray. All right. Wow. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera is in high tax in New York with the latest on that. Good morning, Francis. Hey, Brian. Good morning to you. We start with a stage that's set, a Supreme Court showdown over abortion rights. The justices will review a Mississippi law that would weaken Roe v. Wade by banning nearly all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. For nearly 50 years, the high court has said states cannot ban abortions before the fetus is viable at around 23 weeks. The court will hear the case in the fall with a decision about a year from now. In Ohio, vaccinations are on the rise after the state debuted its Vax a Million program. It is a $1 million lottery for those who get the jab. The director of the state health department says she's been getting reports of bigger groups showing up to get vaccinated. Five drawings will be held starting May 26. Winners will be chosen at random. A newly leaked Navy video appears to show that right there, an unidentified flying object. In it, you see this spherical object flying above the water, going back and forth for a few minutes 
sits near San Diego before it just disappears. Documentary filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, who obtained the video, says it was captured in July of 2019 by Navy aircraft and then recorded in the USS Omaha's Combat Information Center. The Pentagon confirmed the clip was recorded by Navy personnel and says it will be reviewed. Who knows if we're ever going to find out what that is. Seems like we have more and more headlines like this out there, Brian. Either it's happening more or we're finding out about them. Everything's caught on camera more and more. Yeah, the Shepard Smith show last night had a big piece. 60 Minutes did something on it. I tell you what, I just hope, Francis, when they come, it's in peace. We'll just hug it out. What are you going to do, right? Take what you like. You got here. (laughs) We can't leave. Live your best life until then. <laughs> Live the, yeah, yeah. FOMO for, for, for good. Francis Rivera, thank you. I'm going to go watch District 9 tonight. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Have a sure good night. Uh, all right, ahead. Why have a good night? <laughs> you know, what, who, what time is it? All right, coming up. Why executives won and investors lost when it came to AT&T's original 2018 deal to buy Time Warner and who really got paid. And by the way, it wasn't investors. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and other platforms as well. Dow futures up 97. NASDAQ futures also up about 100. Wow. It'll be a big day for tech. We're back after this. Ballooning blowback around that mega media deal between AT&T and Discovery. Former DirecTV CEO Michael White lays out what it all means for shareholders and consumers. And who just might be next? Ditching the mask. Target becoming the latest company to ease restrictions. But will that make it a target for those who argue it's too fast and too soon that the CDC continues to confuse? And bust out the donut with that coffee or maybe a ding-dong or zinger. As Hostess is here with why sales are booming. The CEO will join us. It is Tuesday, May 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us, everybody, right here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get right to it. This could be a good day for the markets and your money, at least based on futures. I know it's early. It's only 530, but the numbers are positive. Look at that. NASDAQ futures are up more nominally on a number basis and, of course, a percentage basis than Dow futures. Do not see that very often. NASDAQ futures up nearly 100. Dow futures up just about 82. In other words, let me put it more simply, it could be a good day for many big-name technology stocks if things hold the way they are. All right, now quickly to some of this morning's top stories, including more major companies modifying their mask mandate. Bertha Coombs is back with more on that. It's Target this time, Bertha. Yeah, it's happening quickly, Brian. Target and Starbucks now the latest companies to make the changes to their policies. Target saying fully vaccinated customers and staff will no longer need to wear masks. Adding face coverings continue to be strongly recommended, though, for those not fully vaccinated. CVS also making that move yesterday. The companies are the latest to drop the mask mandates in recent days. 
It's going to be tough to see how they enforce that, though. Apple CEO Tim Cook, though, set, set to take the stand in the tech giant's ongoing trial with Epic Games. According to The Wall Street Journal, Cook's taken part in hours of practice rounds with former prosecutors chosen by his legal team to simulate the witness stand. And Walmart is out with its quarterly results in just over an hour, and a big focus is going to be on the company's Walmart Plus subscription service. Investors and analysts are hoping the retail giant gives an update on the program, which launched back in September. So far, it's not shared any subscriber numbers, so we'll see if they're ready to give those up. Brian, back over to you. All right, we certainly will. Bertha Coombs. Bertha, thank you very much. All right, now, back to the massive media deal that hit the markets yesterday. AT&T pulling one of the greatest, if not the greatest, corporate U-turns in recent business memory, dumping its entire multi-year, multi-billion dollar media strategy and spinning off its media business like HBO, CNN, TNT, and TBS into a new venture, as yet unnamed, with Discovery. Now, this morning, growing criticism around the move and AT&T's original $81 billion deal to buy Time Warner back in 2018. From the Wall Street Journal, quote, AT&T needed to dial back media dreams, saying it was fun while it lasted, but not for investors. The Financial Times reads, AT&T discovers it has no business in show business. Ouch. And on Mad Money last night, Jim Cramer, not mincing words, It's not a transformational deal, for heaven's sake. It's the final act in one of the dumbest mergers in recent history. There's no synergy in a wireless provider owning HBO. The truth is, ATT made a boneheaded decision, and now they're paying for it. But in corporate America, no one really pays for it. No one's even allowed to say it. No one's allowed to admit it. Joining us now is former DirecTV chairman and CEO Michael White. Michael, good morning. I mean, everybody seems to be on one side, and that is negative. As hard as it may be, Is it possible to see the other side? Is there anybody here, maybe aside from David Daslov of of Discovery, that that has gotten it right or gotten a good deal? Well, good morning, Brian. Nice to be with you. Uh, Look, I think you've got to separate the discussion about what was done in the original merger. Clearly, there were flaws in the strategy, challenges with the execution. and, and, And so let's put that aside. I think the question is for an investor an employee, for a stakeholder, like a storyteller, you know, what does the future hold? And and in my mind, you're going to have two stronger companies here, without a doubt. You start with kind of they're more strategically focused. They've both got scale. And and for the combination of Time Warner and, and Discovery, you'll, you'll have some global opportunities, which I think are going to be critical if you're going to compete with the likes of Netflix in the world. So th- there are going to be some challenges, without a doubt. I mean, there's... Jim Cramer's comment about transformation or whatever. Look, there's, there's going to be a lot of heavy lifting to merge these two businesses together. Um, I, I recall it took 20 years, really, for Frito-Lay and PepsiCo really to kind of gel as, a, as an integrated entity, uh, you know, when, when that merger was done. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to do in yeah. the midst of an industry that's still going through wrench and change. I mean, we are not done by a long shot with change that, in, that impacts the media industry. Yeah. And, and now, of course, as these things tend to go, Michael, everybody's asking, who's next? They're looking at our parent company, NBC Universal, and our owner, Comcast. They're looking at Viacom CBS. There's some talk 
Could those two link up? Would regulators allow it if we tried? This is not 1974. There's not three or four channels out there. There's thousands of channels or apps, whatever you want to call them anymore. Who do you see next in the possible tie-up parade? You know, to be honest, this is a pretty unique situation where you had uh, an asset in Time Warner owned by AT&T that clearly didn't fit. Um, it, 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 it didn't lend itself to their management capabilities um, or otherwise long term. Um, you know, when I look at the rest of the media landscape, you've, you've got a lot of kind of smaller plays, smaller channels. And I noticed kind of Amazon may be looking at MGM, but that's a different animal, too. Um, and, and I'm not sure why they need a movie studio or a television producer when Netflix is able to get all that stuff done without one. But but they may have the library and, and that may be of interest to Amazon. But look, I, I think you've got some smaller plays that kind of don't have a, a particular compelling argument to be bought by anybody. And, you know, you've got increasingly four big companies. Uh, but look, the competitive nature of this industry is going to continue to challenge each of the players on scale. I mean, you look at the amount of money that Netflix is spending on content production. I don't know, $17 billion. That's a staggering amount of money. And in particular, they can leverage it across 200 million subscribers worldwide, which is why, in, in some ways, the most interesting strategic challenge for all the content companies is evolving from what was largely a U.S. play to figuring out, as Netflix is doing, how to leverage yeah. the world uh, with their content assets. You know, when we talk about the shows, Michael, because they're sexy, it's a lot easier to say we need content. We need, by the way, we don't just need a lot of content. You actually need good content. It's not just about a lot of stuff. You have to have stuff that people want to watch. But underneath the hood are all the financials. That's what really matters to the executives. I think David Zaslov probably does it, knows it as good or better than anybody else out there. We talk about the growing, changing face of cable, we, people cutting the cord, how subscriber, VOD, video on demand fees, all of that is evolving. Underneath the hood, how much does this deal, if at all, change the financials of the business? Well, I, I mean, first you make a very important point about content, Brian. And, and on top of that, we're coming out of a pandemic with, with a lot of changes in society that content is going to have to kind of navigate through. And, and so let's not underestimate just going back to work or going back to normal for the entertainment industry with a content pipeline that is full and robust and relevant to, to consumers today is a big job for every content company out there. So I, I wouldn't underestimate that. In terms of the financials, look, I, there's two dimensions to it. For investors, clearly there's going to be some sorting here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of investors held AT&T for a 7% dividend um, and were fixed income and weren't looking for growth, but they were looking for a 7% return. That's those days were short lived anyway, but you're going to have some, some, you know, kind of puts and takes in terms of the investor pool. Um, in terms of the, the financials themselves, again, it, and it's more than David, my experience at PepsiCo, yeah. you know, and I've worked in big companies and small companies. If you're going to be in a big company like PepsiCo, which has diversified assets like Pepsi-Cola, Gatorade, uh, or Doritos, and Frito-Lay, as international as U.S., you've got to come up with management processes, you've got to have a cohesive culture, and you've got to have the right leadership team. It's never one individual. And I think Andy Pearson and Kendall, when they put together the company in the 
70s and the 80s really kind of took a decade getting that right. And I wouldn't underestimate the challenges David's going to have. Yeah, David is a world-class CEO, a world-class media CEO. He's got great relationships in Hollywood. He's going to do a terrific job. But David would be the first to tell you he needs a full team. Yeah, you wonder where, where Warner Media CEO Jason Kalar, they just had a big piece of profile, kind of a glowing piece in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. Now, his future is uncertain. People talking about his exit. Very quickly, Michael, I'm not going to ask you to slam the guy, but, you know, you talked about AT&T and that sort of widows and orphans, 7% dividends, why you own it. I mean, you know, even as AT&T stock is down in the last 10 years, I mean, the S&P 500 has doubled in the past four or five years AT&T is below that. AT&T's former CEO, Randall Stevenson, paid himself more than $90 million. Now, the board sets the pay. I get it. I'm not going to knock the guy for taking something somebody else gives him. The board says, here's a pile of money. I'm probably going to take the pile of money. It's got a $250,000 a month guaranteed pension. I mean, all while shareholders paid the price. I'm not asking to slam him or the board of AT&T, but what do you think they got wrong? And also, do you think that stock performance makes this new entity less desirable for any new buyer? Well, I don't, I don't think the stock performance in the past has anything to do with where it's going to be in the future. I mean, I, I, the market's pretty good at weighing what the future looks like, and I think you're going to have two very competitive enterprises with, by the way, a much more appropriate capital structure for each of them to grow. And, and in, the, in the end, you're going to have growth opportunities, I think, for both businesses. You know, look, I think AT&T's timing was, was unfortunate. Uh, you know, but but they were looking at the Comcast model and thought they could pull it off. I think in, it, it, it's probably a testament to Brian Roberts and the job he's done. It's not that easy, and and I think that uh, their timing was was poor or unlucky, shall we say? Their execution left a bit to be desired uh, on on both fronts, um, certainly with Directv, uh, but the strategy also I think was flawed, and you know the. The days of a conglomerate, ITT, whatever, from a capital market standpoint, probably wasn't realistic anyway. Michael, you're a very good guy for coming on. You must be the most polite guy out there because basically what you just said is, well, the timing was poor, but at least they overpaid and had no strategy. Michael White, former CEO of DirecTV and others. Michael, we appreciate you coming on. It is a changing landscape as well, certainly. We also think Comcast has done a pretty good job, Michael. Take care. Have a great day. All right, coming up. All right, thank you. We're going to answer, arguably, the most important question you're going to hear all day. Twinkies, ding-dongs, cupcakes, or something else. What is your favorite Hostess product? The CEO is here. Hostess Brands reporting better-than-expected earnings and sales in its first quarter of 2021 And after a year filled with stress with consumers mostly at home, comfort snacks at a low price saw consistent demand. As the country reopens, the question is whether that demand will be sustained. Let's talk more about that and the company and maybe get the answer to our question that we went into the break with. Joining us now on a Worldwide Exchange exclusive all the way from Kansas, Andy Callahan, CEO of Hostess. We appreciate you getting up earlier or staying up late, Andy. Either way, good stuff. Great to have you on. It was a terrific quarter. Stocks up 27% in 12 months. 12 analysts cover it. They got an overweight with a $17.5 price target. But still, given you've driven sales from $700 million to $1.1 billion nearly in a couple of years, how do you get more respect from Wall Street? 
Hey, Brian, first of all, thanks uh, for having me. Good to be up. A lot of great stuff to talk about. We really like our position. Um, I think uh, the underlying value of the company is, uh, as you mentioned, is transformationally different for Hostess. Our capabilities are better. We've transformed the portfolio with the acquisition of Bortman, leading sugar-free business and growing at uh, nearly twice the rate of overall cookies. And iconic Hostess is in snacking uh, need states and occasions that are growing at a greater rate than overall snacking, and snacking is growing greater than food. So as you see, we're growing in the top quartile of our peers, at margins at the top quartile of our peers, and I'm confident over time the underlying value of the company will show. And, and with all of those great results in the past, our future is better. So uh, I think there's a lot of uh, respect that will come, and uh, continuing to uh, perform at the way the Hostess Heroes and the team's doing, uh, it'll come over time. Well, talk to us about the future, Andy, because, you know, we talk about a a company like a a Peloton or a Zoom and everybody said, oh, we're going to, you know, get on an exercise bike at home and we're going to Zoom and and those. But I think you are actually the greater work from home stock. I mean, the reality is we know that people just they wanted to enjoy things. They wanted to have their treats because it was a a lot. And I almost use a different term of stress. Obviously, in the past year, for a lot of people, the kids, many kids are home, maybe not in Kansas, but on the East Coast, they're home all day long. How do you see consumer demand evolving as much of the country gets back outside? Yeah, I I think snacking, consumers snack differently, but they're continuing to snack and increase snacks. They love comfort and highly reliable, trusted, high-quality brands, of which Hostess is. And before the pandemic, snacking was increasing. Now, the way consumers snacked, as I mentioned, was different. They were snacking on smaller, more, uh, you know, joyful occasions. We call, we'd like to bring little moments of joy to consumers' lives. Sweet snacks in the morning are increasing. Snacks in the afternoon. And with new products, we're snacking at night. So we have a portfolio that was growing before the pandemic. And over time, that accelerated. The in-home snacking occasions, I believe, have, uh, well, I know they've elevated during the pandemic, and I believe that stay-at-home behavior and snacking is going to stay at an elevated level outside of the pandemic. A perfect example, consumers were already moving towards a trend of movies or Halloween at home, small gatherings at home. They've invested a lot in their home recently. Those behaviors and rituals are going to continue. We're going to want to enjoy them with well-known and trusted brands that they really enjoy, like Hostess Twinkies and Cupcakes. During Halloween, one of our largest occasions, we had a theme around bring Halloween home. That was already a trend before the pandemic. It accelerated during the pandemic, and it's going to uh, continue afterwards. As consumer mobility comes out, too, our convenience store business and our media consumption business is going to accelerate as well. We're well-positioned for growth from this point. And well-capitalized, obviously, Andy, before your time, Hostess, we covered the bankruptcy about 10 years ago. Uh, there, there was some ownership changes there. You had private equity in, some private equity out, some private equity back. From an investor's perspective, do you feel like you need to convince them we're capitalized? This is not the old Hostess. This is us. Our, our free cash flow is one of the best in the industry. We when we bought Wortman, our leverage went above four times. 
We're already at 3.6 times and we'll delever to about three times by the end of the year. We're a very strong company with uh, leading margins and leading growth. So before the bankruptcy, that was a whole different company. We came out and one of the, the, the benefits of the bankruptcy for investors today, any of those liabilities, they're no longer with us. We're very clean. We've invested in the best infrastructure and resources, whether it's IT, took the best manufacturing facilities, iconic yeah. brands, and reinvented an efficient and uh, highly profitable company underneath it. Andy Callahan, CEO of Hostess Brands. Uh, Andy, we appreciate you coming on the program nice and early from Kansas. Enjoy a, a donut. Thank you very much, Andy. Take care. Best to you and your team. Uh, Love the donuts. The way, Thanks, Brian, for having guys, me. Guys, let's... You're very welcome. And folks, we did ask on Twitter, what is your favorite hostess product? And, and, you know, we knew the outcome before we asked the question. Typical media, right? But we got it right. We knew it was going to be the Twinkie. We did not realize that cupcakes and ding-dongs were going to come in at 29.1 each, neck and neck, and so close to Twinkie. 9.7 of you said some other. Snowballs was thrown out there. Zingers, fruit pies, some other things I've never heard of. Either way, Twinkie by a nose. A ding-dong and cupcakes all coming in at the same. All right. Up next, Apex Financials. Lee Baker is going to lay out the trading day ahead. Plus, your morning RBI and the signals that New York City subway may be sending about the Big Apple's bounce back. Stick around. Today's most random but interesting thing has to do with the return of New York City. The weather is up. COVID is crashing, and people are actually allowed to go to dinner again. There is a new sense of optimism we haven't felt in a long time. And slowly but surely, there are more people getting into the iconic subway every day. According to data researcher Todd Schneider, who, by the way, does a great job at visualizing information, swipes through New York City subway turnstiles just hit $1.8 million per day again. Yes, I know. Look at the graph. It's way off the pre-pandemic level of $5.5 million. But the rebirth has to start somewhere, and we are now the highest in 14 months. And it's not just the subway. This data also shows that taxi and ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft are also getting a pop. Now, we say this because maybe you don't care about New York at all. But if you're watching CNBC, you probably care about the financial markets. And the subway is a big deal for both because its parent, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, the MTA, has more than 45 billion in outstanding debt. It is one of, if not the largest non-corporate debt issuers in the world. And someone will ultimately have to pay for that. So even if you out there don't root for the Big Apple, root for the subways and buses because they are the first signs of life. I'll see you on the F train near Rock Center soon. Hopefully. Random, but interesting. New York City's comeback. All right, now back to the markets as stocks look for a big Tuesday bounce after a little bit of a kind of a mellow Monday. We're joined now by Lee Baker, owner and president of Apex Financial. And uh, hey, Lee, worked out. NASDAQ futures are up 103 right now, more than the Dow. Could be a big day for tech. Was the demise of tech greatly exaggerated? Yeah, I think the demise of tech was always greatly exaggerated. We absolutely were going to have, and I think we're con- continuing to still have a rotation to to value. But the idea that that tech uh, was was 
going down for the count, I, I think was exaggerated. The Microsofts, Apples of the world, uh, those are great companies. They're solid. They just weren't going to fly as high as they did last year. So their their deaths were greatly exaggerated. I mean, and now we're seeing this big pop in NASDAQ futures. And I get it, Lee, you don't operate on a one day, one week, or probably even one month schedule as well. Are you seeing any longer term opportunities? Everything feels so hot. Valuations are elevated everywhere. Is there any part of the market you still see as sort of macro undervalued in any way? You know, I don't see a whole lot of undervaluation out there. Uh, You can make the argument that there's some areas that are fully valued and, and still approaching that. Uh, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye on inflation. Uh, candidly, I think it's it's going to be transitory and, and thinking through some of the impacts of that. Uh, one of the things that, as I have discussions with clients and that sort of thing, is what are the impacts when some of these things that we see that are problematic right now, like the supply chains, uh, price of lumber and those sorts of things, what happens to certain market segments when that goes back to normal? So we're trying to keep an eye on those sorts of things. What is normal, though, Lee? I mean, and what is transitory? We keep it. We, we, we talked about it yesterday. We hear that word. What? I don't know what transitory means. A Greenland shark lives to be 400 years, years old. The shark, their definition of transitory may be very different than yours and I. How long do you well, think this now, is going to last? Yep. So uh, some aspects of this, I think you're going to last into the fall. OK, so you've got the situation and, and just having conversations as recently as yesterday uh, with clients who are just you know, just totally exacerbated by this idea of buying a home here in Metro Atlanta and the inability to correctly overbid on a, the price of a house. So we've got some supply issues. Uh, I, I think one of the things we have speaking of supply is incredible money supply, but not a lot of velocity. But as we get out of these shortages, these supply constrictions based on the supply chain, I think that'll open up. We'll see the money start to go in the market. There's a there's an awful lot of savings uh, that's uh, sitting on the sidelines, and I think it'll come out at some point. We're going to find out. We're going to find out if this all ultimately is transitory. I guess, Lee Baker, we simply will not know until we definitely get there. But listen, uh, best to you. Thanks for coming on. Look forward to getting back sure. down to Hotlanta. Maybe we'll do I trivia night at the Taco Mac. <laughs> exactly. Live, live long and prosper like the Greenland shark. Also, world's slowest swimming animal. Nobody cares. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. My knowledge of sharks is limited. Squawk Box is next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.